Hi, and welcome to the Voice of 5G podcast. It's a podcast from Ericsson with me, Paul Cowling. And me, Janina Taunen. Hi, Janina. We're back. We are indeed. It's been a long time. <laughs> yes, it has been. Uh, several months. How was your holiday? Uh, holiday was great. <laughs> Paul's telephone just went off. So you're still on holiday. <laughs> I'm still on holiday. Just putting my feet up. <laughs> yes. So how was it? What did you do? You were away was, for several uh, months. Oh, two months maybe. Yeah. It was uh, lots of walking. Yeah. And lots more walking uh, yeah. in the French Pyrenees and southwest France and some hiking in the Swedish mountains mm-hmm. and a little bit of hiking around Stockholm and then doing the usual stuff, putting your feet up, doing some work in the garden and that kind of stuff. So I had a little so bit of... The Pyrenees, I have to say, are very special. Had a little bit of a normal holiday as well then at the end. Yeah, you know, just to kind of get used to the idea that I'm coming back to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, just you know, so Paul is super fit at the moment <laughs> and ready to do some podcasting. You've you planned while walking. You planned all I've been, the episodes. Uh, I've been in training. Yes, mm-hmm. good, talking good. to myself. So last week we spent a day in Gothenburg on the west coast of Sweden at the 5G Transport Summit. We met old colleagues, we saw new colleagues, we saw a lot of speakers on stage. European service providers were there. And I mean, it's it's fun to see that the events are starting to start up again after the pandemic. It's nice to see some energy in the room. And we managed to get two of the service providers to do a podcast with us from there. One from Norway and one from Greece. And of course, as it was the transport summit we focused to talk about their transport networks even though it was also 5g but paul i think we need a little bit of help here Uh, transport networks a very niche topic i would say we're not talking buses and trains here uh no we're not talking buses and trains but i'm not sure i would agree that it's a niche topic Mm -hmm. it's a very important topic paul's tech ramble if you think about when you're using the mobile network and you're talking your phone or you're surfing and you're creating data, it goes into the mobile network. It has to go somewhere else to reach the Google servers or the Amazon servers or the whichever web page you're trying to surf or your call needs to get to the person at the other end. You can't just go to the base station and stop. It needs to be transported. And that's what we mean by transport network. You've got connections between... For instance, the radio and the, uh, the baseband, the, the radio computing cards, that's called front hall. Uh, and then they're connected into the back into the network, and that's called back hall. Yeah, exactly. You have to see the telecom network in front of you, like you have the antenna, right? That's up in the mast. Yeah. That is then, the antenna uh, is normally... In a normal base station, okay, the signal goes down into a base station that's at the bottom of the mast. Now, the antenna connects to a radio, which could which yeah. could be separated or, or could be yeah. co-located with the antenna. Let's keep it simple here. Yeah, yeah. I say it's on the bottom of the antenna in a cabinet. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and that's in two parts. There's the radio, which makes the signal that goes out to your phone, mm-hmm. and then there's some processing, which is done to kind of work out what to say. Like we we call it often a baseband unit, or we call it a RAN compute unit. Yes. And you think you can also call it a digital unit because mm. it's all happening in digits. Yes. Bits. Nowadays. That's kind of the computing part, but but you but all those bits and the traffic that you generate from your phone all needs to go away into the network through a gateway to the internet somewhere. Mm. Um, and that's what the transport network does. And that uses things like fibre optic connections, it uses microwave connections, could potentially use satellite connections as well, if you're talking about someone like Starhub or something. Mm. And that's what's being talked about at this forum, yes. this summit. Yes. Is different aspects of, of uh, transport. What does transport mean in a 5G context? You know, how do we, what, what changes when you go from 4G to 5G? And what new techniques and technologies are coming along which can help you solve the problems that, that arise in there? Yes. Uh, and of course, transport networks, uh, as 5G comes along, then 5G has much higher capacity, so you need a lot higher capacity in the transport network as well. Yeah. But you also need to, to be secure. You need to be reliable. Mm-hmm. So if that was my phone, Janina's got the buzz. <laughs> I were really like noobs here, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So if you know if the fibre cable gets cut, then uh, for instance, by some jolly chap in a JCB, you know, really wants a, re- a redundant path so that the signal gets through anyway. So there's a lot in, in terms of the architecture or the uh, the how you build the network as well as the technology that you use for actually making and running the links, whether it's on fibre or microwave. Mm-hmm. Some names here. Just very quick explanation. Radios. Radios? That's how basic do you want to go? <laughs> as, as, as easy, understandable as possible. Okay, that's taking the signal from the, uh, the digital signal from the baseband unit, um, and it's using that signal to send out a, a signal, radio wave signal, to your phone. And that's, that's, uh, that's carrying the information that was in the digital signal, but it's carrying it as a radio signal. And through the antenna. And through the antenna. And, and also, of course, it's coming the other, it's doing the other way. It's taking the signal from your phone through the antenna, capturing it in the radio unit and passing that back to, as a digital signal or passing it, yeah. yeah. Frontal. Front hall is the connection between the baseband unit and the radio unit. Back hall. It's the connection from the, from the baseband unit to the rest of the world, uh, or at least into the, into the rest of the network. Microwave. That's, that's not the oven. No, it's not the oven. It's a kind of radio system. Um, normally it's a point-to-point or it's a directional radio system. So you have a, a send end and a receive end or, or transponders at both ends. Uh, so you create a point-to-point link, maybe across the city, for instance, to connect your base station. So maybe you've got a base station on a hill and you want to provide connectivity to it. You can set something up which connects. Uh, it's also quite common to, for instance, use microwaves if you want to connect to islands. saves you having to put cables into the water or, or hang cables <laughs> across the gap. Yeah. Uh, the gaps can be quite quite wide, so there are, you know, there are places around the world where we, you know, the hops between the, the microwaves, they talk about hops from a transmitter to a receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they can be you know, over 100 kilometres for, for, for those connections. 
Fibre. Fibre? Oh, uh, how much do you want to know about fibre? Uh, <laughs> as most, little as possible. <laughs> yeah, most, most people kind of know about fibre to the home, for instance, mm. or where you get fibre drawn into your house. Fibre is a very, very thin cable, if you like, or a strand of glass, and it acts like a waveguide. What's a waveguide do? It takes, it takes a signal and it kind of contains it within, within the guide. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, waveguides typically sort of used for, for instance, for microwaves to you create like plumbing, which takes the microwave signal where you want to use it. But an optical signal or an optical fiber is like a waveguide. It takes laser light into the fiber and then it steers it all the way down the fiber. And it's normally very low loss. So the signal can travel without getting very much smaller. So you can send it over very long distances. And it also supports very large amounts of information. It basically allows you to provide an optical communication link which you can send through through a fibre which you can put in the ground, you can put it up buildings, you can take the signal wherever you want it. One more thing, uh, transport. Transport? Didn't I explain that already? Yeah. But just very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> transport. Transport. Because we talk about transport so, lot, so much, but it's like it's what we mean is transport networks, right? Yeah, transport networks. It's basically meaning a very similar thing to what we mean with transport when we mean buses and cars and, and trucks and stuff. It's carrying things from one place to another. But in this case, the things it's carrying is digital information and not physical goods. Mm. So it's it's everything that has to do with carrying your traffic. We even use the same kind of words. We carry we talk about traffic, data traffic. It's carrying your traffic through the transport network to deliver it somewhere else. Yeah, chunks in big massive big chunks chunks. Yeah, it's really good. And this was then um, what we were starting off with. Uh, Paul's tech ramble, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Scramble. One question that I have, like when we talk about microwave, isn't that the same as millimeter wave? Yeah. Um, In fine, well, we talk about so much about millimeter wave. Here we talk about microwave. microwave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, essentially, when those terms kind of relate to the to the wavelength of the radio signals mm. that you're using. So millimeter waves, the waves uh, wavelengths is in the millim- range of millimeters. And microwave, the range is in the range of micrometers. It's a very simple way of putting it. So as the frequencies, uh, the you know, frequencies related to inversely related to microwaves. So if if your as your frequencies, you know, if you think about your radio at home with AM and FM frequencies, you've got to you, know, you start with AM frequencies, which if you, if you kilohertz or tens of kilohertz or hundreds of kilohertz and mm. then you go into megahertz so millions of of cycles for frequency for fm radio stations mm. and now we're up into here we're talking about you know, 70 gigahertz or something so mm. 70 well should we start off with low band because we're talking about low band sometimes as well like low band that's uh, an under one gigahertz and then we talk about midband in 5G. Well, I think we normally say it's a it's around 3.5. Right? 3.5 gigahertz. So yeah. that's 3.3 and a half thousand megahertz. Yeah. And then high band 
at least in, in 5G is, uh, well, what was it? Typically 28 gigahertz. Gigahertz still. And then we, in the podcast, we actually mention E-band. That's even higher. E-band is even higher. I so obviously, I haven't written down what E-band is. Yeah, here it is. 70 to 80 gigahertz. Um, so th- there's an interesting thing. You know, the, um, the, the, the transport network needs to carry all of the information which is coming in off the, off the mobile network. And the mobile network needs a spectrum, so frequency, frequency bands to be able to operate the mobile radio. And what's been happening over the last 20 years or so is that as, the, as new standards come along, so when 4G replaced 3G and now when 5G replaces it's 4G, the radio, or sorry, the mobile radio network, the mobile network is using higher and higher frequencies. Mm. So we just talked about 28 gigahertz. Mm. And that also, I mean, that makes it a lot, I mean, you can, it can transport a lot more data. It does. It's um, not so far. Uh, a lot more data, not so far. Uh, but what it also means is that you're starting to use frequencies that were previously used for transport networks. Mm. We used to use those you know, frequency bands for, for sending information over uh, for, for the backhaul. So if I want to use those instead for the mobile network, I have to find new bands. And the only new bands are even higher frequencies, mm. which is why we end up with E-band. <laughs> up around the 70 gigahertz mark. Mm. And that works great when you have one of those point-to-point uh, connections, right? Because then, well, you don't have anything normally in between, like a house or people walking behind a house. With their... It works better there. But we're going to hear some in the interview. Some... Yeah, <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's, it's not always that easy. <laughs> yes. Dif- yeah. different, different radio bands have different characteristics and uh, one, of the, one of the things that you have to cope with is when you get to high frequencies, is, for instance, is how do they react to bad weather and rain? Mm. If you take very low frequencies, you can send signals that go like halfway around the world and, and don't really notice the weather. Mm, but that's, as, that's but when you get to very high frequencies, then you, are, you start to be susceptible to different types of interference or yeah. different types of degradation. That's why you can listen to a radio almost around the world. Well, it's a bit more difficult with... Uh... But that's a very good example because if you listen to what in the old days used to call long wave, mm. then you can hear that for a very long way around the world. Long wave is high wavelength, so low frequency. Mm. Uh, but when you get to FM radio stations, normally if you've got a local radio station using FM, you, it only covers a fairly limited area because it's a, high, a much higher frequency band. It's also a shorter wavelength. But still limited area, but then the high frequency is even more limited sometimes. It's more, it more antennas closer by. I think we've d- made sense here. It's amazing. We can mention also the W bands. That's a new thing. 92 to 114 gigahertz, I heard very quickly, Paul. It's just a higher. They need to move and it's going higher. Higher and higher. You have the W band, but you actually have the V band and the W band. And the E band is kind of stuck in the middle and doesn't seem to have been described in that way at the time that the V band and W band kind of started coming into existence. But I think from maybe 2000 onwards, the, there is a definition for the E band mm-hmm. as a band which, is, which we're using for transport. Uh, there are different bodies that standardise and there are different descriptions for what the bands are and where the bands are. So you've, we're familiar with UHF and VHF, which we use for, for radios. And then you've got HF, which is high frequency and 
at, at the bottom end. Uh, but also at the top end, you've got EHF, which is, I think it's like extremely high frequencies. <laughs> so you've got no, ultra high frequencies and very high frequencies. But we've got extremely high frequencies, and that's where the V band and W band are and where E band is kind of, uh, kind of stuck in the middle. Mm -hmm. The E band frequencies seem to be originally like defined for use for using with waveguides because the wavelength is just kind of a really nice size for building a waveguide out of. Strangely enough, there are two other definitions for E-bands which relate to completely different things that, that have nothing to do with telecoms. Well, they're not entirely to do with telecoms. One is that NATO have an, a definition for E-band, which is in a completely different place. But there's also a, a band listing for frequencies or wavelengths in the optical spectrum, which we use for fibre transport. Uh, so there's an E-band definition if you want to put it, uh, a, a laser onto a fiber at a particular wavelength. Because mm -hmm. we normally know when we're talking about radio waves or optical light, we don't really get this mixed up all that often. And now you know what an E-band is in our lingo. 70 to 80 gigahertz. Yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> when I heard E-band, I, I, th I just think E-street band. But that's me. <laughs> okay, uh, shall we go over to the interview section, Paul? <laughs> yes. Yes. Let's play the band. Let's play the band. are today at the 5G Transport Summit in Gothenburg, in a very rainy Gothenburg hall. Welcome to Gothenburg. <laughs> yes. Isn't, Gothenburg is always rainy, I heard. Uh, yeah, I think we always have rain here because we were here 2019 last doing podcasting. We were indeed. We were at the, the same Transport Summit. I'm not sure if it was a 5G Transport Summit then, but it's basically covering the same event, same technology. But now we're here to talk to a few different people. Yes, we have a room full of guests here. Should we start off? Mika Heikinen, Ericsson's head of product line, Transport. Welcome to the podcast, Mika. Well, thank you very much. Thank, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, and you can recognize Mika on his uh, slightly Finnish accent, right? Oh, I do? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to hide it as much as possible, but that's fine. Okay. We also have a guest from Norway. Telia Norway, Fabian Josefs. Telia Sonera, Norway. No, it's actually Telia. Telia, so, Norway. Telia, Norway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, my LinkedIn profile is not that updated. So, uh, <laughs> Fabian Josefsson, you're Swedish, but working in Norway. That's correct. Yeah. Can you quickly introduce yourself? Absolutely. Fabian Josefsson, uh, as you said, I'm in a department in Telia, Norway, that are, what do you say, focusing on the fixed network part. We are using that for transporting the, the 5G round services, of course. So I mainly work there with strategy and, and things like that. Cool. And also in the room, a special guest from Cosmote, Greece. <laughs> George Skiadas. Is that correct? Exactly, yes. 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 And with a little Greek accent. Honey. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Swedish doesn't have accent then. <laughs> Swedish accent? Uh, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to hide it as well, but I can't Good. really... Uh, easier to recognize us if we're not all English like Paul, right? Uh, correct. Yeah. Please, introduce yourself. Okay, so um, my name is George Skiadas. I'm, uh, I'm based in Athens, Greece. 
work for Cosmote Mobile Telecommunications. It's a local operator, the, the incumbent of Greece. I'm a senior transmission network engineer. I have a local role. I was for many years in the local planning microwave teams and transport department. Uh, but I also hold an international role because Cosmote is part of Deutsche Telekom Group. So I'm part of the TDI, Technology Delivery International teams of Deutsche Telekom. And we have a sort of an agile model now. So I'm part of the x squad, which belongs to the Transport Networks tribe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, I, I recognize the terminology. Yes. And of course, we deal with the international part, actually. We deal with introducing and do some validation and testing of new wireless transport technologies. Ericsson is one of our strategic vendors, so we are the first ones to test the new hardware and software releases. And then we officially issue a certification and we release them for the use for all the networks of Deutsche Telekom or the NATCOs, as we say, national companies within the group. And of course, uh, we are also involved with doing some various innovation projects, etc. We have worked a lot with Ericsson as well. That's the short version. <laughs> short introduction. But that's great. We're going to hear a little bit from you, service providers in Europe, a little bit later. But let's start off, Mika. What is this 5G Transport Summit? Yeah, the 5G Transport Summit is something that, that Ericsson is hosting, but it's an industry event. And we have been running it since 2014. And I think in the beginning, which I was not part of, but I have heard that it, it was more focused on the microwave. But later we changed it to, to cover all aspects of transport. And, and the idea is to, to bring all these experts and specialists and people together to discuss of their findings and learnings and experiences on on 5G and, and sharing those and, and, and therefore, I guess, create new ideas for other people joining the, the conference. And then, of course, after these two years of the COVID, you know, we have a very special feeling getting together here, you know, um, this year. And, and, uh, and a little bit of, you know, we are in the second day of the, of the conference now. We have a few more very interesting uh, still presentations to join with. But I would say that this year, maybe the, the special teams have been around in the first day, very much around CRAN, i.e. how the transport architectures are changing and what kind of requirements that puts to the, you know, the transport. And then this morning, we spent pretty much, you know, with the sustainability and, and energy. And I, I must say that, that I have been almost 30 years in transport business and, and uh, I would not have been... I, we always talked about capacity and, you know, and, and, and how to plan the networks for the capacity and so on. And, and, and this is totally new scheme, you know, and theme, you know, for all of us to, to discuss. And we have a wonderful morning this morning to, to discuss exactly the energy efficiency and sustainability. And then, of course, we have some evening activities as well, so which we need to market here a little bit as well, so that more people will join us next year. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and also to get to know each other. It's important, of right? Of course, of yeah, course. Yeah. And yesterday, Fabian, you were on stage here. Yeah. Yeah. What did you talk about then? Yeah, that's a good question, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Uh, first of all, I, I must say it's been a fantastic event so far, so uh, it's really uh, enjoying it and uh, really thanks for that. Yeah, uh, I was talking about the, the 5G transport readiness in Telia, Norway and uh, in our network yesterday a little bit. So uh, elaborated uh, how our journey has been mm -hmm. from where we started and yeah, so forth. What is the readiness level at the moment? Yeah, I would say it's pretty good since today we are covering 80% of the Norwegian population wow. with, with 5G. 
So uh, I would say we are in pretty good shape for the readiness. So. And, and for uh, for the transport network, you no, know, for five G, what do you see the main differences compared to the things that we did previously for four G? I would say the the main changes compared to four G is uh, the capacity. Of course, it's it's increasing. You're shifting from one G to to ten G connections. The synchronization requirement is also a one topic that is is very hot for for the five G part. Mm. And and also needs to be considered and carefully planned. Yeah. Okay. Can you do maybe because not everyone that listens is an expert in transport. Can you explain a little bit then about what is synchronization and why is it important and what makes it difficult? It, it's it's yeah. That, that's <laughs> a very give good, you a challenge. It's a good challenge. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, but if you put it for for a TDD spectrum in 5G, the requirement from 3GPP is 1.5 plus minus 1.5 microsecond, and that means that you are not allowed to transmit any packet from the the 5G base station if they are not within that time and phase accuracy. So if you compare it, it it's like if your watch, it always needs to be plus minus one and a half microsecond correct. If it's not, then you're not allowed to transmit any packets because then you're starting to interfere with yourself or your competitors. Yeah, and and TDD of course is is time division. Time, time division. So, yes. so the both the transmit signal from you to the base station and from the base station to you are happening on the same frequency band. Exactly. But, but you're sending and receiving at different times. You can say you 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 transmit and listen, transmit and listen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important that everyone listens at the same time and yeah. transmits. Transmits when there's. It, it's the same when we are talking right now. <laughs> if we should talk at the same time, I yes. think it would be a little bit challenging to at least for your listeners. Yeah, yeah. And this TDD is something that that is very much something that was introduced many networks with the 5G. Yes. The 4G was very much you know based on FDD or non-TDD, and uh, you know therefore it is a new requirement for many many you know transport networks in 5G. Yeah, and and is there like a silver bullet for how you solve this synchronization problem? I wouldn't say that. You can always say that there is one silver bullet, but I would say it's it's many. It's many flavors. You have a lot of options. You can go for the all GNSs road, which means that you're putting local GNSs or GPS Galileo receivers out on every base stations. But then you're also what to say the risk is that they became become jammed from small jammers that truck drivers are using for hiding from their bosses. <laughs> yeah. So so a, a very simple jammer like that could actually take out the base station if you are relying on GNSS only. So you need to, what I say, carefully plan it, have it all through the network and, and keep the, this budget so you don't get over this plus minus one and a half microseconds. So... It's a lot to consider. I guess we could have a, just a podcast regarding that, but I think that's uh, not the case right now. No, we shouldn't go into the technical details. But I think Paul and I will probably do a, more of a deep, deep dive. I think Paul just loves this topic. <laughs> I think it might, might be a little bit too technical for me, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure Paul will educate our listeners a little bit more on it, right? After but, I've read up on it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. But I want to know, I mean, the... Norway is not the easiest country to launch 5G in with a lot of fjords and quite a long country. How has that worked when it comes to 5G and perhaps the transport networks? I saw a pretty cool picture 
of a solar-powered site as well. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Uh, maybe we can start with that. Yeah. Uh, it's actually, we, we have an off-grid base station up on Trollstigen, who is a hiking trail with a really scenic views. So up there we have uh, base stations that are relying on, on wind turbines, solar panels and uh, hydrogen power. So it's totally off-grid and we just need to refuel it once or twice per year and it will be up and running. And it's 4G, 5G, 2G. Cool. I've been at Trollstigen one and once and it was about 10 meters side, so I could see basically nothing there. Okay, so, <laughs> so you, you missed the scenic views. I definitely missed, missed all the scenic views. But that's pretty cool and that's a big like, tourist it's place. It's a tourist, so yeah, it tourist needs, attraction or what do you call it, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing it needs the connection, a good connectivity for everyone who's taking pictures and sending to you. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. How about the backhaul part of the 5G? Has there been anything special there? Because that's yeah, your area? Uh, yeah, since, since I mentioned, you, you had the capacity needs. Our, what do you say, our legacy, our existing equipment didn't cope with the 5G demands. So we needed to replace everything in advance, so to say, before we actually could go to, to the site and, and swap the radio, the RAN part. So, so that needed to be replaced. So that uh, is some, some of the things that we have done to, to prepare. And of course, building these sync islands that we call it. So, so we are able to deliver proper synchronization all over the network. And we, we discussed yesterday, you know, as I said, you know, quite a few operators were presenting their CRAN, you know, plans and, you know, also their experience around the CRAN. So was that something you considered as well when you started to upgrade the network? For the 5G that if you would consider changing the architecture a little bit as well. Yeah, we, we definitely looked in, into the CRAN and I would say especially me, I was quite fond of it and uh, were, what do you say, promoting it in, internally. But then when we concluded, uh, there is some regulations from the regulator in Norway, ENCOM, that says that we need to have battery backup on, on every site. So if you put it in a context here, so... Even though we just have radios uh, on, a, on a physical site, we need to have the battery backup. So our savings in terms of uh, moving equipment from a physical site and, and centralize uh, the, the equipment, you, you don't gain that much because you still need to have the batteries, some of the rectifiers, etc. around that. So we still need the site room, uh, the location. So we still need to pay for that, so to say. So our gain for moving in the CRAN direction, whereas we don't, didn't have the incentives to do that. Mm-hmm. Perhaps, Mika, you can explain a little bit of the background for the C- uh... CRAN, centralized RAN. Yeah. yeah, so the idea, idea there we, is... We, sometimes we, call, we, we talk about cloud RAN, yeah, yeah. but in this area we, call, we talk about... Yeah, so we, 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 you know, okay, so I, I know that it's, it's confusing even, even to ourselves. We, <laughs> we sometimes <laughs> use the wrong operations in, in our own documents and, you know, get confused, but... Yeah, the, the CRAN that, that we are discussing here is a way of centralizing, uh, especially the baseband processing power of the base station in the uh, more centralized location. And depending, of course, of what kind of fiber availability there is and what kind of data center infrastructure or the, let's say maybe legacy pot center infrastructure that is in place already by the customer, it might be a very you know, efficient way of actually building the networks. And, and it simplifies also quite a bit of the, you know, the radio side. But again, well, some, some operators, as we heard, have went as far as having 95% of, of all 5G, 5G sites centralized. But in most of the networks, the, you know, it's a good, good practice is to build 
basically hybrid solution where where you can do it, you do it, and where you you know want to do more distributed run, you know you do that. And the benefits are if you don't have such battery requirements, for example, are around saving power and you know also doing the the maintenance works is considered to be easier because it happens kind of in a data center environment mainly. Yeah, and, and oh, of course sorry. from a from a transport network point of view, if you're going to centralize things, that, that changes the pattern of, of the traffic in the in the network or in the transport yeah, network. Yeah, and also... And that, that may mean a you know, different architecture design and different sets of equipment. Yeah, I mean, you know, do you, you need something that gathers all the traffic to the site and, and then the latency between the radio and baseband is, is something that is very scarce you know, resource. So you need to make sure that you don't exceed the, your, your latency budget. When it comes to, let's say, the traditional radios, the best option is, is fiber. So you need to have access to fiber and you need to have access to lots of fiber or, or you will need to, to be able to, to multiplex the traffic into the single fiber and multiple lots of traffic into single fiber. So that's, that's one part of the change that will happen in, in decentralized RAN but then also, I mean, it, it, it gives you an, an opportunity, for example, to use your centralized sites or data centers differently and do a local breakout and, and therefore change the way you get into the, you know, traffic into the internet, for example, that may give you another advantage system. Yeah, and, and maybe worth mentioning, uh, if I should start it from the beginning on a greenfield network, I definitely would go for the CRON uh, today. It's it's more when you need to consider your legacy that's when you, what do you say, make other decisions, I would, I would say. Uh, how is fiber in Norway? Is that difficult? I would say it's not difficult. There is a lot of fiber. It's quite good fiber penetration all over in Norway. Uh, what is difficult is that it's quite fragmented. It's a lot of local power companies that have, what do you say, dig the fiber and, and are owning it and controlling it. So there, there are a lot of small companies that, have good coverage in an, in an area that you need to collaborate with to, to be able to get the fiber, so to say. So there is what's saying, it's no nationwide provider that you can go to and ask, and hey, I would like to buy some fiber from you. So it's it's fragmented. You need to have a lot of partners. Coordination and work planning, yeah. yeah. But you have some mountains there as well. I'm sure they don't duck through the it, mountains, the fibers. No, <laughs> no, no. I, I would say mainly it's fiber on, the, if you lo- look from the the fibers between the cities. It's on the railways, power lines, or in the sea, and sea cables. And that is a little bit challenging because uh, there is a lot of cruise ships that that like to see the scenery of of Norway, and they have anchors that uh, quite often find these fibers (laughs) in the sea. And then that is sometimes a little bit challenging. It's a major source of lack of availability in the network is people... Uh, like cutting the cables. And yeah, an anchor does quite a good job of that, I think. Yeah, and what you say, the, the mean time to repair is, is quite long. It normally gets one, two months before you are able to repair the fiber. So, yeah. Did I hear correctly that you were also mentioning a 5G connected ferry? Yeah, that, yeah. that's correct. Yeah. Um, we, we have actually, it's a pilot project between us and the university in Trondheim. So they are running an autonomous ferry for bicyclists and pedestrians over a canal in Trondheim. And it's fully run on, on 5G today, so they, they are controlling it via 5G. Cool. A uh, use case in the actual world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good to hear. Something that's uh, also being presented and given out here at the 5G Transport Summit is the new Microwave Outlook report. It's not even published yet. It's so new. 12th of October, it's coming out. 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's correct. So that's seven days from now. Probably while this podcast is out, it's going to be out. Okay, all right, good to know. All right, yeah. So it's I think it's a ninth report we we are putting together, and and we have some what I would say standard sections there where we talk about how do we see the the actually uh, site requirements changing, you know, and and it's really not microbase specific. It's it's for you know whatever backhaul technology we want to use. So we are looking at three different uh, site types in, in, in different types of the networks. You know, we also discuss in every one of these reports also the spectrum, what's happening with the spectrum, because unfortunately the microwave, for example, the 5G is, is super hungry for new, new spectrums or new frequencies to be used for the 5G. And there are constant changes in that. And and and, and, and therefore we, we kind of also, and then report also what, what is the most you know, used spec, you know, the pants in, in, in microwave, et cetera. We try to, you know, if possible, of course, um, do this together with the customers, but but also from our research, different specific items around the microwave that that will give us, as the name of the report says, outlook of what's happening in the in the microwave and what to expect, and but also share the experiences, early experiences sometimes of the next generation technologies and, and what kind of benefits those could, could bring, again, to bring out some ideas of what to expect and, and, and what to, you know, put in the network. And I think George's here is actually one of the uh, contributors of, of our latest report. So Tell us about that. You were also here today and I just saw your, your stage uh, show uh, <laughs> 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 with a very pink color. It was very nice as your uh, Cosmote and Doshi Telecom together and you you've been working together with Mika's team on uh, energy efficiency for the transport networks so i mean we've been talking about energy efficiency and breaking the energy curve for 5g networks and the important things there but now also transport networks how have you been working with this with the energy efficiency there first of all i want to make a comment it's magenta the color <laughs> because uh, yeah uh, magenta is also uh, the brand name of some services of Deutsche Telekom you know so that's why it's supposed to be magenta as I mentioned earlier because I have a local role but also an international role we are locally and internationally I think the whole industry now is looking at energy saving techniques uh, this is something that has started obviously from climate change etc it has moved into reducing carbon emissions and uh, carbon footprint. And especially now, it has become a hot topic because we have seen with the whole situation in Europe and in general in the world that the prices have gone up for energy. So this is a very hot topic from all aspects, if you if you look at it. So in that sense, we, together with our partners, Ericsson, we are looking at various uh, energy efficient techniques because my expertise is more or less on the wireless transport. We were looking at these features together with Ericsson and I think it's very interesting that you have some uh, first results on the report. We have done some, some demo tests. So we have seen instant power savings and then we also like to project these into what it would mean for future power savings in the next uh, following years. And I think it's it's very interesting. Yeah, you did an interesting, uh, just a few years ago, it was uh, with, with Ericsson. I think we talked about it on the podcast, the 100, uh, 100 gigabits, gigabits per, per second. second. Yeah, I think that was the last time we mentioned Cosmote in this podcast before. Was it one or two years ago? Yes, I think it was two years ago. Uh, we, we collaborate with Ericsson in many areas, yeah innovative areas and innovative solutions in the wireless transport especially. 
since it's my field. Uh, so I can talk to you about this. So, okay, this was an 100 gigabits per second E-band MIMO trial. And it was the first time that E-band frequencies, we could, we could actually transmit that high capacities and this high throughput. In the meantime, we have done other trials that I've also mentioned, I think, in my presentation. We have done the W-band trial in Athens. We also run various projects with AI and machine learning uh, mechanisms. We believe that this could be future of the networks uh, if the SDN, let's say an SDN controller could become mature enough in order to get the data from the actual network and then be able to analyze this data and identify some uh, traffic patterns, alarm classifications. These, these are really nice. And I think it these energy-saving features that we're mentioning and we mentioned on this report could also become even better when they will be together embedded on a centralized system that can take decisions on existing actual uh, traffic patterns. And I think it's uh, of great use. And it, it will become of great use in the near future, in the years to come. It sounded really, really interesting. It's like sort of shutting down uh, parts of the system that's not being fully used. So it's a sleep mode. Yeah, maybe I comment this, and it's very interesting, you know, what George said, and you know, the, the, there is a couple of elements there that is good to remember is that I, I, I would say traditionally, of course, the, the transport networks are are built for the maximum capacity. You need to kind of build it for that, but then we know we have excess capacity at some point in in in, in a network, and. And then this idea of optimizing the network based on the traffic, I don't think it's brand new. But now we have, uh, you know, I think the, the required technologies available and, you know, the, the elements available to make it actually a reality in the networks. As you said, George, we have this way of collecting, you know, and we have enough of, you know, data center capacity to, to also analyze that lots of data that is collected from the networks. We have AI and ML, which makes it possible to, you know, find the right answers from all that data. And then we have SDN that can then change actually the network to, to do these things to, to maximize or optimize, let's say, the capacity and the power performance of the network. So, you know, again, ideas sometimes require these technology elements to be in place before they can be actually being, you know, introduced the network. And we are not quite there in a, in a real network level even in, in this one, but I think we, we have all the components and elements in place that it could happen in a few years' time and, and could be actually activated in networks. If I look at my experience we're from the radio access side, the same type of techniques are, are being used there for uh, turning off carriers and, and reducing you know, power output and things when, when you're not needing them for carrying the traffic. There have been like network management functions available for quite some time that allow you to to turn off things overnight on a top of time schedule basis. But there's always been a reluctance that we've seen from carriers to, to adopt those because there's always a risk that like there comes a big burst of traffic when you shut when you shut down some capacity and then the quality of service for the customer goes down. How how is that being like handled in the transport side? How do we how do we make sure that we're not affecting the service? Of course, this is a very important factor for the quality of our networks. This is something that has to be taken into account uh, during the planning phase. So you need to plan your networks beforehand in order to cover and compensate for these kind of situations. 
for example, Ericsson radios that we have been using in our transport networks have advanced QS quality of service mechanism. You can set up your QS mechanism smartly enough in order to, at least even if you have some issues in your network, at least guarantee your high priority traffic will go through. In that sense, these power saving techniques also would not be applied by themselves. They have to be applied on some kind of radios that also uh, operate with correct QS mechanism. So in that sense, again, even if we have some issues there, I think the system will compensate. However, I truly believe that because and I mentioned also in one of the questions I received today in the presentation, <laughs> the system will take over, this energy saving technique will take over and maybe switch carriers or lower down the transmit power only in cases where the utilization of the link is quite low. So in that sense, if you have two carriers and the utilization, the system senses that the utilization is below the capacity of of even one single carrier, then if you switch off the now redundant carrier, it will really not make any chance in the system availability at all. On top of that, even if you have some kind of, let's say, bursts or peaks of traffic that could exceed the limit of the operating link, uh, you still have some techniques. For example, when you set up your QS, you also set up your uh, buffer size. You have advanced techniques where you know you can use some buffer size in order to compensate for these bursts of traffic, etc. However, of course, we're still in the demo phase, but I think we're working closely together with Ericsson in order to, to offer a fully productized solution. And I believe that all these minor things, minor, major, whoever sees it, yeah, I think uh, we will work together and find the proper solution on this. Yeah, and I, I think the key here is the automation. We, what we actually were talking about here sounds like easy thing to do, but when you do it in thousands of elements or or a very dynamic manner, it cannot be, you know, actually operated by the humans. It cannot be even planned by the humans. It needs to be based on learning from the network and the automation that will take care of it for you. That was super interesting for a very informed audience. And if you want to know even deeper dives into uh, this area of energy efficiency, a very, very important area, I think both for the operators and for the operators' customers who actually have to pay the bill in the end. So really interesting, and you can read it in the new Microwave Outlook report then. But I also wanted to ask you, George, what's the status of 5G in, uh, in Greece now? How is it going there? Yes, 5G, from my point of view in general, obviously it's still, it's starting to pick up. We haven't, we definitely haven't reached the mature 5G state yet where everybody is using 5G services. I think a great percentage of the, of the end users, our customers do not even have 5G capable user equipment like uh, phones. So we expect that 5G will be massive in the next following uh, time frame. However, already in Greece, in, in our networks, we have started, we call it like single run 5G rollout, where we are rolling out new 5G base stations with Ericsson as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Thank you for that. <laughs> I had to mention since it's true. Yeah. So we have, have been running this project for the last couple of years. So we have already upgraded the radio part but also the transport. And regarding the transport, because sometimes people don't realize how important transport is. You know, you have people from core and from the access and the access people want new services and then everybody has to be handled by the transport network. So that's why I believe, that's why I'm part of this. 
it's it's a really crucial and vital part of a network operator. Uh, we're trying to have our transport networks and our microwave links, for example, ready to support the 5G demands that will come. So in this sense, when we have 5G network radio site ready, we also deploy the transport part and we try to make it whenever possible uh, to reach capacities up to 10 gigs, so either with a single standalone E-band link at 80 gigahertz or the multiband booster solution that you, you are offering also as well, where we use a traditional frequency band on top. And then we're reaching around distances of seven or eight or even 10 kilometers when we can offer 10 gigabits per second. And just to sum it up and finish is that, of course, because we are already installing 5G users are not really into, you know, like downloading large traffic and things like that since 5G hasn't really picked up yet. We have at this point in time, some idle carriers and excess capacity that we could actually use these energy efficient techniques that could provide benefit to our network straight away. And that's why we're working together with our partners Ericsson in order to, to get these features that we have seen now in a demo phase uh, as a productized equipment as soon as possible so that we can, we can get the maximum out of it. I think, I think you're doing a better job than Paul and me in selling. <laughs> <laughs> Selling Ericsson. <laughs> you, have, you have some good customers here, Mika. Handpicked. <laughs> but, but, but a question then, what, you know, from, a, from a layman's perspective, Greece is known for having lots of islands. I go sailing, so I like islands. Yes. <laughs> when it comes to connecting up the islands, are you mainly using microwave or mainly using fiber? And, or, no, when do... We use both. We use both. Obviously, we have, uh, as uh, we said earlier, uh, sea cables, etc. But we're also using microwaves. And actually, we have one of the largest, I think it's the, the largest microwave network in Europe, the link. It's around 150 kilometers, which interconnects two islands. And we have been using microwaves as well. It is a challenge because when you are connecting islands and most probably... Norway could be similar in this sense. We have uh, links that are overseas, so sometimes we get reflections, we get all this, but we have quite a few mechanisms to deal with it. We have space diversity, we combine with equipment protection, etc. So we are using all the techniques that we can, and that's why I'm very interested in the wireless transport area because it has many things it's not you deploy and then you leave you have, you have to deploy and the plan and the, it's really interesting yeah do they get affected if a big ferry goes by uh, yes it can happen it can happen if you don't plan carefully and you have let's say a link that is your antenna is situated next to the harbor then obviously if you have we get this with uh, the cruise ships mm. because they're actually large you know like yeah. regular ferries or whatever mm. they're a bit small <laughs> But then you have some large cruise ship that approaches the harbor. And then, you know, like we're trying to see what, the, what, what is going on with the link. Why, why do we have outages? It's not raining. Everything is working nice. We don't have a power outage. And then we're looking at uh, things like that. And we have seen, yeah. We have and seen that, that is also something that artificial intelligence can help. Of course. Yeah. To <laughs> explain, okay, so we, or we, I, artificial intelligence believe this fading or incident was because of a moving object, for example, or, or a temporary object in a, on the line of sight. It, it can learn the ferry timetable. That's what day of the month the cruise ship arrives. Yeah, if they would be always on time, yeah. 
I actually have a live example of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you have some things in common here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. De- definitely. Uh, working for another uh, operator in in Sweden at that time. I ac- it's actually here in in Gothenburg, so just outside. We I, we had a link crossing Jotelv, uh, and we shot directly in the chimney of the line, the ferry, so we could see the the timetable when it went down. <laughs> <laughs> you can use it by yes. the other way. Oh, very good. I think we'll wrap it up here. We'll let you go back to all your interesting topics that's coming up in the afternoon. Of course, everyone out there, read the new Microwave Outlook report to learn more and join the next event, right? Next year. It's a great party, I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> But also very useful. Also very useful from the information point of view. I think that's, that's a hint that Janina wants an invite to the party. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> So we'll talk talk again next year then. Yes. Uh, so thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Hey guys. Thank you. So that was our interview from this year's 5G Transport Summit. And again, <laughs> I love that he slapped my wrist there on the magenta. I will. I do apologize to all the T-Mobile people and everyone in Deutsche Telekom. Not pink, magenta. I know now. <laughs> and uh, Neville Ray will pink. never forgive me. <laughs> in the pink. And uh, he mentioned some interesting stuff there, uh, Fabian uh, from Telia Norway, that I thought we'd go back to a little bit and explain because I want to know more. He said something about when we talked about synchronization and the importance with the timing of the of the um, communication the communications yeah. thank you everyone needs to be aligned yes. about when they're going to transmit and when they're going to listen yes and he mentioned very quickly there gnss and galileo receivers can you please explain a little bit more now we're coming to tech ramble with paul <laughs> Are you sure? Another, another. <laughs> um, GNSS, Global Navigation Satellite System. Ah. ah, so that's like your GPS system, for instance, is mm-hmm. is is one of those. To be able to, you know, for a navigation system like that, to be able to work out where you are, it also needs good synchronization. So as a very as a very stable timing reference source in the signal that it uses, so that you can use a satellite receiver. Uh, Galileo is another satellite system. You can use a satellite receiver as a, as a reliable source that everyone that receives that you know you know that everyone's getting a reliable source of frequency and synchronization. So they use those as a master or secondary master source for synchronizing timing across the network. Cool. And Galileo is a is a satellite system, right? Sat- uh, it's a, yes. It's a set of satellites around the world. It's uh, synchronization is one of those things that's very important, but it's actually quite complicated to do. So it's a like a specialist topic area. Mm. So I won't say won't too much that, about. No, I won't say too much about it because I've kind of re- rapidly reached the end of my uh, knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> but, one but, more thing, happy, though. <laughs> happy to bring on an expert to, to talk about yeah. it another time if there's someone out there that really wants to tell us about it. Paul is amazing because he knows he knows a lot about a lot of different topics. I know a little about a lot of different. I think topics. you know quite a lot about a lot of different topics, but you know, can't be an expert of everything. Another thing that I thought we'd bring up a little bit is CRAM. 
Can you explain where is the sea around? And can you very easily explain it when we, now that we know what frontal, what a radio, what a backhaul, what a, yeah, that network, sea around? Okay. CRAN, the C stands for centralized. Yes, in this uh, case. Because there, there, there are there's people a lot out of, there. There's mm-hmm. a lot of confusing terminology mm-hmm. and uh, we can talk about cloud RAN. And mm. It's easy to say CRAN when you mean... Well, yes, some people the, say that. ...in the cloud. Mm. We talked earlier about the baseband or the digital unit that's doing like the computing stuff. Mm. So down um, at the bottom of the antenna, there is a base station. In there you have the baseband also that we call the ground compute unit. Yes. Mm? Yes. Do you remember that? We remember that. A lot of base stations don't look like that anymore, but that's a, that, <laughs> no, that's that's a kind of good... That's, that's, a, a that's a classic. But that digital computation... There's some things which happen in the radio, which so modern radio, like a massive MIMO radio, is doing lots of computation around the what signals to send to the individual elements of the antenna and stuff. But but there's a kind of all the information processing part about what's the data doing and what happens, what happens to that. You don't necessarily need to do that right up close to the radio. You can take some of that and put it somewhere else. Mm, where you have more power and data. Uh, management, yeah? Yeah, so that means that, for instance, if we can move stuff to the radio, then maybe the radio can be on the antenna and I don't need to, need to actually mm. have a site at the bottom which has got radios and basebands in it mm. because the radio is on the antenna, I can put the baseband somewhere else. And when I put the baseband somewhere else, then there's not a lot of traffic on the baseband. I can share it between different diff- different sites so mm. I can do what's called pooling and get, get an efficiency there in terms of how you handle the traffic so I can maybe make some savings but one of the nice things about about putting things centrally is if something breaks and uh, cards break from time to time you don't end up having to send somebody out to, out a, to, the, to a base station yeah, somewhere on a mountain yeah. on a mountain or you know if you've got someone there at, at this room which has got lots of these these basebands in then just go in around and swap one out yeah And that then makes the front hall part longer, though. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So the front hall becomes more important as well. I mean, the front hall becomes yeah. more important. Mm. You you have requirements from the front hall about mm. basically about how far it can be based on you know how much time you can allow in handling the signal because you need to reply back to the phone and that kind of stuff. You know, it's amazing. I'm starting to get it, Paul. Now, after 20 years at Ericsson, yeah. I'm finally starting to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got a little anecdote for you. Yes. Way back in the days of yore, before before we had mobile systems, we only had uh, you know, fixed telephony. When the first electrical telephone exchanges came, they were run on valves uh, instead of transistors. These little glass things that go in there. Whew. And the reliability of valves is so low that when they got this room full of equipment, a big room full of equipment for running telephone exchange. Can I just ask which which era was this? Oh, probably kind of the 60s, I suppose. Maybe maybe early. I'm not I'm not 100 sure. Yeah. The transistor came along, and I think in the 60s was mm. and we started uh, taking over. The reliability was so low that they would have people that were like basically walking around all the time looking for cards where the valves had gone so they could swap them out. <laughs> <laughs> that was your job, like uh, or a, a person's job. Yeah, I'm just switching. <laughs> it was to go around, yeah. 
Amazing. So it was a big step forward when transistors came in and you could do all of that yeah. in solid state, so yeah. as they call it. Yeah, yeah, You know you can still buy valves. Okay. They use them for like audio amplifiers if you're an audio buff. Mm-hmm. They give, uh, good, good audio. Good audio. Amazing stuff, Paul. That's it for this podcast. Episode 78. Thanks everyone so much for listening and bye. And bye. Remember to like, comment, subscribe. If you like this podcast, it really helps. We have a great team of people we're working with, but when it comes down to it, a lot of work is done by us too. And we weren't hired to do podcasting, Paul. We're not. I'm not getting paid for this. (laughs) (laughs) So please, if you want us to continue, give us some good reviews and recommend us to your colleagues. And if you want to contact us, email is best. And which email is it, Paul? 5G podcast at ericsson.com. Ah, you're so great. And, you know, out there, we love your suggestions and feedback. So please reach out to us. Ericsson is a Swedish multinational networking and telecommunications company started in 1876 and headquartered in Schiester, just outside Stockholm. We sell infrastructure, software and services in the information and communications technology for telecommunications service providers and enterprises, including, among others, 3G, 4G and 5G equipment and IP and optical transport systems. We employ around 100,000 people and operate in more than 180 countries worldwide. Ericsson has over 57,000 granted patents and has been a major contributor to the development of the telecommunications industry and is one of the leaders in 5G.